0: Wonderful! Wonderful to clap and cheer for Jesus. He's worthy of every bit of it. That's for sure, and much more. We started a new series this morning, but I'm going to stay with some parables. This is Conversations with Christ, part number one. Uh, this past week, I was asked—actually, the few weeks—I've been asked a lot of questions about prayer from different people, and uh, asking about uh, you know the mechanics of prayer. Uh, how does God transform the life of His disciples through uh, the process of prayer? How does God answer our prayers? Just a lot of things around prayer. So for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to study prayer uh, from the prayer parables. There's a set of parables uh, that center around prayer topics. And uh, trust me, you're going to be challenged. Uh, This is not a fluff piece. Uh, It's going to get very, very serious very quickly. This morning, I invite you to Luke chapter number 11 where we'll look at the first uh, prayer parable found here. It's called The, the Friend at Midnight. It's, the name, it's what the theologians have named this parable, The Friend at Midnight. Before I read the parable to you, I want to give you just a little bit of background information. If you have your Bible or your app open to Luke chapter number 11, it's worth looking at verse number 1 for just a moment. Now it came to pass as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he finished praying, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John the Baptist is who they're referring to. John also taught his disciples to pray. Lord, we're watching you pray. We're listening to you. are praying with you. And, Lord, you seem to know things about prayer that we don't know. We've been watching you. Here's the biggest thing about prayer. Here's the very biggest thing about prayer. Your prayers get answered. And I'd like you to teach us, Lord... How to pray. <clears throat> now, the first thing Jesus does is he gives them a model prayer, a little bit of mechanics, a little bit of structure. If you go through our discipleship process, both in book two and in book three, there will be some time spent with a a mentor, and they'll be talking to you about the different types of prayer, adoration, praise, and intercession, and all of these things. And maybe one of these sermons in the next few weeks we'll even cover, we'll come back to this. But let me read the model prayer for you. Jesus said, Here's a model. Of prayer uh, let me read it to you when you pray say our Father in heaven hallowed holy is what it means holy is your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he gave them that model prayer, and that's something almost everybody's familiar with, even if you're not a Christian. You've heard that somewhere, especially if you live in the South. You've heard that somewhere in your journey. So that's the model, and Jesus isn't saying just pray like this over and over. He's saying this is structure for your prayer, because in that model that he just gave us, is praise and adoration and intercession. And but we'll get to that at, at, at another point. But that's the context. Lord, teach us to pray. He says, okay, let me give you some structure here. And he puts the structure out there for them. Having giving them now some structure, he says you don't just need structure. You also have to have the right heart. You have to have the right thinking, the right attitude about prayer. It goes much, prayer is much more than mechanics. It's much more than... Uh, a certain set of words being said. Does that make sense? So so he's going to tell a parable. We're going to tell a story to drive home a point that prayer is much more than just a mechanical thing. You say this and God does this and everybody goes home happy. That's not what prayer, that's a misunderstanding of prayer. So Jesus says, now that's just the first lesson. Let me give you lesson two now. And I'll do it in a story form. Luke 11 verse 5. It's the parable With a friend at midnight. So here's what Jesus says in verse 5. Listen to him. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within the house and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs, many loaves as he needs. And that's the story that Jesus told. Now that may be something you've heard before. It may not be something you've heard before, depending on your Christian journey. A lot of you take notes during the sermon, so I think this is an important moment to pause. I think everybody right now, whether you actually do it, whether you type it into your phone or whether you have a pen in your hand, everybody ought to script right now at least two sentences. What do you think that parable is about? Whether you do it in your head or you do it in your phone, what do you think that parable is about? I'll give you a minute. It's a good exercise. Self-discovery right here. What do you think that parable is about? Maybe you've been taught many times from this portion of Scripture, and you already know, and you are just put it down real quick. What do you think the parable is about? Because we want to reference that in just a moment. I'll give you a second. Now, you didn't think you were just going to come to church this morning and sneak in here and sneak out. Nobody's going to ask you to do anything, right? I mean, come on. Work with me a little here. What's the parable about? Okay, you thinking about that? Okay. Friend comes at midnight. Hey, I've got company that showed up out of the blue. i got nothing to feed them. Hey, friend, you know what I'm saying? Give me some bread. It's midnight. I'm in bed. Leave me alone. All right. All right, so what are you thinking? So I, I, I'm going to say now, if you're normal or if you grew up in church, either way, and I'm not saying normal people grow up in church. I'm just saying if you're normal, if you grew up in church. You probably wrote something like this. We are to pray and we are to ask God. And if God doesn't answer our prayers, we're to keep on praying and we're to be persistent and we're to be bold and we're to be tenacious and we're to keep on praying and keep on asking until God answers our prayers. Am I close to what you put down? That's typically what we've been taught and that's usually would be our takeaway from this story. Now, I want to challenge you, is this really what Jesus is trying to teach us and trying to teach his disciples about prayer, or, or is, is that even the point of his short story that he just told? Now, let me read from a couple of different translations, and let's see if we can get our juices flowing a little bit this morning. ESV, Luke 11:8. 8. Now, verse 8, I'm going to tell you is the problem. Verse 8's the problem. That's messing with your head. So, I'm going to read verse 8. ESV, I tell you. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Here's a paraphrase translation, God's word. I guarantee that although he doesn't want to get up and give you anything, he will get up and give you whatever you need because he's your friend and because you were so bold. Now the same word's been translated as persistence, Impudence and boldness, the same exact word so far in IV, Luke eleven eight. 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, what's at question here this morning is one Greek word. It's the Greek word anaadea anodeia sitting in there and that's what came out of jesus mouth Adea, when he said it to his disciples and the question is what does that word mean because it's only used one time in your bible and so we don't have a bunch of other passages to, to bounce it against and see how it was translated it's only one place it occurs in the bible and that's the peculiar word Jesus used when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. Some people translated the word persistence, boldness, uh, this, that, the other. Persistence, boldness carry a positive connotation. In other words, if if I say to you, listen, we've got to be bold in prayer, And, and, and man, you're so persistent, and you're so steadfast, and you're so bold in prayer, those are positive qualities. Does that make sense? We translate that as Americans in a positive way and say, yes, yes, we, we're, we're staying by the stuff. We are very steadfast and persistent in, in prayer. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. This word does show up in Greek literature. And so to figure out what it means, uh, there is a... There's a research project at the University of California, Irvine campus. It's called Thesaurus Linguae Grace. It's a research center at the University of California. It has a digital collection of everything written in the Greek language. As far back as they can find things written in the Greek language. I mean, I'm talking Socrates and Plato and Plutarch and... Anything that's ever been written in ancient or modern Greek is recorded in this database at the University of California. And if you do a word search on Anaidea, ana this Greek word that's only found once in the Bible, it always means something negative. It shows up 258 times in ancient Greek literature during the period of, back to the period of Christ. And every time somebody uses that word in literature, it meant a very specific definition. It meant, go back, go back. It meant shameless audacity. NIV got it right. It meant something negative. You see, in the NIV, that comes off as your shamelessness. Here he's positive, here he's positive, you're so bold, you're so, you're so tenacious, you're so persistent. NIV says, nope, you've got it wrong, it should be shameless. You're so rude. Hello, it's midnight, we're in bed. Don't you have any manners at all or understand proper conduct? In shameless is the right word. Now because that word got translated as persistence, we may in America have come away with the wrong idea. Of what's being said right here if you look up Strong's Concordance in their Greek dictionary now you guys in the booth Strong's Concordance an idea from a compound with a negative participle impudence that is importunity Thayer's though gets it right Thayer's Greek dictionary gets it right definition number one in Thayer's shamelessness impudence which none of us even know what that means in in modern America shamelessness we understand what that means though Don't you have any manners at all? Are you completely shameless to come to my house at midnight? And my kids are asleep. You're waking up the whole family. What the heck's your problem? Don't you have any manners? Shamelessness is the right word. It's referring to rude, audacious, outrageous behavior that goes against the social norms of decent conduct. Now listen carefully. The point of the parable has nothing to do with our persistence and tenacity and persevering in prayer because our prayers have not been answered or they've not been heard or they've initially been rejected. And so it's our job just to keep on asking. That is not the teaching of this parable. It's going to be rough for the next 20 minutes, trust me. That is not the teaching of this parable. This is called a how much more parable. And you'll see it in just a minute. It's a type of parable. A how much more parable always moves from the lesser argument to the greater argument. If a conclusion applies in this lesser case, then how much more does this conclusion apply in a much greater case? Does that make sense? If it is true over here in this small little thing like giving somebody a piece of bread, then how much bigger is it over here With God and with our prayers. If a friend will respond to shameless behavior in the middle of the night and yet rise and take care of his friend, how much more will God take care of you when you call upon him? Now let me really challenge you right here. You ready? Do not read into the parable that the man knocked on the door. Are you shocked right now? Those of you who grew up in church, are you shocked right now? There is no knocking in the parable. Go back and read it again. No one not. Do not read into the parable that the sleeping man refused to get up and help his friend. There was no refusal in the parable if you go back and read it. Do not read into the parable That the man in need was turned away, came back, was turned away, came back. It didn't happen in the story. We all made that up in our own brains. He did not show any persistence. What he showed was shameless behavior. What is wrong with you coming here at midnight and and screaming and waking everybody? That's what he did, and it was shameless. It was rude. Listen carefully what I'm saying to you. This parable is not about how we're asking it's not about us this parable is not about us in that sense of mechanics this parable is designed to make us learn something about god it's going to come into focus now in just a second the point of the story is god is willing and ready and eager to answer your prayers This is the point of the parable. God's eager to answer your prayers. And if a person would act like this, I want you to know God is way up here and he's eager to answer your prayers. Now here's, let me get personal for a minute. My great dilemma is not that I lack persistence in prayer. I've been praying since I was, I can't even remember. I mean, five, three, I mean, since I could talk, (laughs) I've been praying. My, my problem is not persistence in my prayer life. My dilemma is that I sometimes have an improper attitude towards God. That's my problem. I sometimes pray thinking, well, I've got to ask for this, but God surely doesn't want to do it for me. No, I'm just talking about my problems, not yours. My problem is not that I don't pray. My problem is that when I do pray, I have a bad attitude towards God. And I feel that when I go to God in prayer, many times I feel like it's my job through prayer to convince God to do what I want him to do. Am I getting close to home with anybody yet this morning? It's getting really quiet in here. When this happens, now we can expand it. When this happens to us, we are in danger of living out a false narrative of what praying is all about. Have we been mistakenly taught that it's our job just to wear God out with prayer? Have we been mistakenly taught that it's our job just to beat God down with verbs and adjectives? And I just, We just want to bombard God with verbs and words and phrases and prepositions until God just can't stand it anymore. Have we been taught that if we'll just keep bombarding heaven finally... Finally, at last, in exasperation, God will say, okay, enough, enough already, just take it and leave me alone. But that's exactly what we have been taught. That's exactly what we've been taught. Let me ask you a little assessment question here at the beginning. When you pray... Do you feel like you're trying to convince God to do something he doesn't want to do? When you pray, do you feel like in your own heart you're about to try to get God to do something that he doesn't want to do? Sometimes. Sometimes. If I'm honest, sometimes. If so. And I think it's going to be true of all of us at some point. If so, then we have an improper view of God. Or B, we're asking for something we know we shouldn't be asking for. Is that fair? Now, I'm not really going to deal with B too much. I'm going to deal with A, we have an improper view of God. So let me get to my observations. There's the parable. Here's my observation number one. But give them to you in the form of questions this morning. What is your opinion of God? This is what I came away from this i said okay i need to ask myself before i pray what is my opinion of god as a follower of christ i know that you have to be cautious not to approach god with a fundamental misunderstanding of who he is i I know as i approach god i i don't want to misunderstand what this relationship is all about and what the basis of it is so the question is what is your opinion of god do you see god as angry and legalistic, and, and and a rule enforcer who's watching your life and calculating how you're doing on keeping the rules, and he's making a nice list of how you're doing with your, with your rule keeping. Do you see God as this all-powerful being who's just waiting for his children to step out of line so he can correct them? Do, do you see God as this all-powerful being who... With our good behavior we're going to suck up to him so that when we get ready to ask him for something he's going to be kindly favored towards us and want to do what we're what we're about to ask him to do. We want him to be generous so i've got to earn I've got to earn his favor by 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 being really good and keeping all the rules and that way, when I get ready to say God, here's what I need, I'm in good standing with him, and then he can do for me what he wants to do. it said. That our first understanding of God. When you're trying to teach a child the concept of God. It is said that our first understanding of God comes from the home. I think this will make sense to you. We learn about God from what our parents model in the home. And I think that's why God said it's so important Deuteronomy 6 to model, to model God in the home. To model the precepts of Christ in the home. Fortunately for us many fathers and mothers do model the attributes of god in the home if you had an earthly father and mother who, who modeled love and mercy and grace and compassion in the home in which you grew up then it's much easier for you to have a right picture in your mind of who god is you have a better understanding of god if your parents modeled love compassion grace mercy long suffering. does that make sense if you modeled God's attributes. You came up in that home. Well, when, when you start hearing as an adult about who God is, it just makes perfect sense to you. And you're like, yeah, that's already a part of my life because it was modeled for me. What, what I'm really saying this morning is God isn't reluctant to answer your prayers, God is eager to answer your prayers. And this is not a parable teaching us so much how to pray. As it's a par- he'd already taught them a structure for prayer. This parable is teaching us what kind of attitude to have towards God when we pray. Let me give you my second question that I want you to think about this morning: Is prayer a way to manipulate God? Now this is a tough question right here, and I think we're going to find some common ground here. Is prayer a way to manipulate God? let me just begin right out of the gate saying prayer is not a tool that was given to us or a technique that was given to us to manipulate god and get god to do what we want done prayer is not about convincing god of anything god doesn't need to be convinced of anything prayer is not about wearing god down with our repetitious words Let me go a step further. Depending on how you grew up and what religious uh, uh, ideologies you've been exposed to, prayer is not about magic words. There are no magic words. Prayer is not about a magic incantation, a spell, a formula, that if certain words are said in a certain sequence and repeated a certain number of times then we've trapped God mystically, magically somehow, supernaturally, because I said the magic words, the right sequence, the right number of times, and now it's like a giant lock in the universe, and God must do what we're going to ask Him to do, because I followed the formula. Does that make sense? That's that's paganism. That's not Christianity. God is not a genie in a bottle, and if you rub it a certain way a certain number of times... Then the genie appears and you say, I wish, and a certain phraseology, and then, poof, your wish is granted. That's paganism, not Christianity. So why is it that we as followers of Christ think that if we are persistent in prayer and keep beating God down continually for the next ten years, then God will relent and do what we want Him to do? Yeah, no, know, it goes against everything you've been taught all your life. And I'm with you. And, I, and I'm trying to follow. What I'm saying is if I just keep on praying, does that mean at some point God's going to say, oh, oh, okay. Wow, wow, I didn't see where you were coming from. Thank you for staying with it for so long. I've got it now, Bobby. Sure, I'll be glad to do that. You understand why your opinion of God matters? Because if you, th- God is not a man to be convinced is what I'm saying to you. God is not one of us. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And he said, I already know what you need before you ask. I'd just like to talk to me for a little bit. Conversation. Just like to talk to you for a little bit about it. Okay, now let's go a little bit further. Matthew chapter 6 verse 7 says this. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen, the unsaved do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do you ever find yourself repeating yourself in your prayers every day for the last 20 years? What's wrong with us? We're not heathen. Why are we acting like it? You see the problem? You say, well, if I pray long and loud, no, Jesus already, (laughs) he's telling you right here. Just because it's not about how many words you use, not how eloquent the words are. It's not about how many times you repeat the words. I mean, I, I don't want to be rude to anybody, but uh, listen, Howard, go say ten Hail Marys. Why? Because seven aren't enough? I mean, somebody explain this to me. Kiran, go say eight Our Fathers, please. You'll be good. Why? Because seven won't get it done? Why eight? Why 10? Why 15? Why 23? You understand the problem here? That's paganism, not Christianity. Do not think that vain repetition and a lot of words are what's required to make contact with God. Matter of fact, he said in James chapter 5, verse number 16, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Y'all know this verse; you've heard it before. Effective fervent prayer. The next verses say, "For Elijah prayed that it would not rain; it didn't, and he prayed again, and it rained." And that's what follows in this passage in James. It's a passage on prayer. What, what James is saying is the effective, effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man is good. That, that's powerful. It's effective. It gets things done. Now, here's the problem: it took one Greek word they couldn't translate it they had to use two english words the effective fervent in the greek it reads energeo one word right there energy energeo it's where we get the word energy energy makes something happen something's going it's like your car engine's turn it over the turbines are running things are getting done there's power energeo effective fervent now it didn't say james didn't say i need you to be persistent and tenacious, although that's the way we read that. Doesn't say persistent, doesn't say tenacious, doesn't say stay with it. It says, What's what's awesome is prayer that's effective. Elijah said, Lord, turn off the rain. And guess what happened? God turn it back on. Guess what happened? God turned it back on. You know what James said? That's the way we all want to pray right there. Amen. We want to be able to get in touch with heaven. And say, Father, we know what what you're doing right now. And I'm trying to play right into that. God, let's get it done. And God says, let it be done. That's effective, efficient, powerful, get things done, prayer. Prayer that gets answers in a nutshell. Our prayers seek to get answers from God. We should not be seeking to manipulate God. If we do, then we who are praying are not right with God. Let me give you another example. Paul had a very serious physical ailment. Every theologian knows this. You may have heard sermons on this. No one knows what it was, but we know that Paul had some very serious physical ailment. Okay? He called it a thorn in the flesh. He suffered with it. Whatever it was, he had it, and he prayed that God would take it away. My question to you is, how many times did Paul pray that God would take it away? Because God never did take it away. Paul was saved around the age of 30, was martyred around the age of 60, so he saved around 30 years, just for easy math. In those 30 years of being a Christian, how often did Paul pray about the most serious physical problem he had? It's very interesting that this is in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 12:8, concerning this thing. I pleaded with the Lord. I pleaded with the Lord. Three in how many years? That's about once every ten years, just for easy math. About once every ten years, I say, God, I'm really suffering here. I'm really hurting with this thing. God, I wish you'd heal me of it. It wasn't a th- listen. Now I just want to tell you the way I've been taught to pray. I'd get up in the morning praying for that, and I'd go to bed praying for that. You know what I'm saying? And I'd be tenacious until God answered. But I wasn't taught to pray correctly. Did God hear him the first time he prayed? Gosh, I don't want to teach all my four series right here this morning to you. But in around Daniel chapter 9, Daniel gets on his knees and says, God, you've got you to help a man out here. I'm a captive in Babylon. I'm praying for the deliverance of our people. And God, I need you to show up. And God, I need you. He prayed for 21 days. When the angel finally appeared 21 days later, here's what the angel said to Daniel. Daniel, dude, we heard you the first time and God dispatched me 21 days ago with an answer to your, I've been coming for 21 days but I was withstood in a running battle by the prince of Persia and I could not get to you. So Michael came and relieved me. He is in that battle right now. And I've come to tell you, dude, calm down. Your prayer's answered. It was answered 21 days ago when you first made it. Amen. That's effective prayer. Prayer that gets an answer. Now, he didn't see the result. He didn't see the answer for another month. But that doesn't mean God didn't answer it. As soon as his child prayed for what God was ready to give, it was answered just like that. Now, so here's what God says to Paul. Can you put this back up for me? 2 Corinthians 12:8. He said, "Lord, I've asked three times that you might take this from me." Look at the next verse. God answered, "My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm allowing you to be weak so that I can magnify my strength in your life." Let me put this into modern text. And my answer, Paul, is no. No, I will not heal you. Because I have a bigger perspective on your life than you can understand. You're so smart you're, 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 you, that I've made you short and ugly. You're such a powerful speaker. I've made you physically weak, because if not, you'd get a big head. You'd be full of pride. It'd derail your ministry. I, I'm, I'm. Listen, trust me. I'm doing the best thing for. I know you're hurting. I know you're hurting, but I'm doing the best thing for your life right now. And God's so eloquent. My my grace is sufficient. Here's what God told him. No. No is the answer. Now, I just want to say to you, we'll get to this maybe in some other weeks, no is an answer to prayer. But yet when God tells us no, we always say, well, he hadn't answered my prayer yet. (laughs) Oh, you manipulator. What would happen if your kids did this to you? I mean, everything works, just put it in a kid parenting context. You know what I'm saying? Daddy, I want it. Daddy, I want it. Daddy, I want it. I want the candy bar. 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 Just take this stinking candy bar and leave me alone. That's bad parenting. That's bad parenting, by the way. So you think God's going to do that to you? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay? So stay with me now. Prayer is not a tool to bend God to do my will. Through prayer, I'm having a conversation with God, and he is leading me to bend to his will. I, God, Lord, if I can manipulate you right now to give me a better job, and a better wife, and a better car, and a better life, and a bigger bank account, I want to manipulate you right now. If I come with improper prayer like that, trying to, trying to bend God to do something I want, you, you know that's not right. But when you come, listen, but even if you're a little not right... You come and start talking it out with God, and after a few minutes of, God, I pray that you just, I pray that you'd just kill McMurdo. He's a thorn in my life. God, I mean, just knock this guy off. Listen, after you start praying that way about five minutes earnestly with God, the Holy Spirit will whisper, why don't I just kill you and give McMurdo some relief? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God, I pray that you transfer my boss. They're, they're a thorn in my flesh. God may transfer you. That boss may be a Christian. You may be causing them grief. I don't know. What I'm just saying is when you talk it out with God, allow God to bend you to his will. Let him, as you talk it out, begin to change your prayer from I want, I want, oh gosh, I'm sorry God, I'm not saying this right. Lord, your will be done. Wasn't that up there in the model prayer a minute ago? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, he's already taught him some of that. But now he's working on that attitude with which they're praying. So let's ask ourselves a quick assessment question. Here we go. Am I focused on doing what God wants or am I focused on getting God to do what I want? And if I want to be really honest with you this morning, I'd tell you a lot of my prayer has been be. Trying to get God to do what I want him to do. And here's what we're learning when we go to God in prayer. Sure, we have wants. Sure, we have desires. But as we talk out the path of our life and what we should have and what we should do with God, isn't he God? Doesn't he get to say to us, his disciples, you follow me. Here's the path I want to take you. Here's what I want to bring into your life. You're like, yeah, but I want something better than what I have. Okay, we're getting to it now. We're not content with what God's doing for us. We're dissatisfied with his blessings. Okay, well then just be honest and pray that way then and just say, God, I don't like you because you're not taking care of me good enough. But we'd all know that would be a lie, wouldn't it? So it's a little subtle. We're a little passive-aggressive when we pray to God. We're a little sneaky and manipulative is what I'm trying to flush out this morning when I approach God in prayer, am I saying, God, I want you to do these things the way I want them done? Or am I coming to God as a loving father who has the best interests out for my life and my family? And am I saying to him, God, here's what I want, but I don't see the whole big picture. And I don't know what you know, that's for sure. So, God, I'm open to suggestions right now. Lord, if my will is not lining with your will, then the goal of this prayer is to get me to your will not bend you to my will. What we'll have to do this morning is we'll have to examine our hearts and see if we have an improper attitude towards God, God, uh, an attitude that assumes something about God which just isn't true, namely that he doesn't want to do good things for you. And we'll have to adopt the correct understanding of God, understanding that God is not slow to take care of you, God is not dispassionate to your requests, that God is eager and willing and standing by to answer the prayer of his children, and this is what Scripture teaches us. The third question is, how much more? This is a common question in the parables. When we look at a parable, we often look at a parable and try to find ourselves in the story. And so when we look at this parable, here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to look in the parable and see, well, who is God and who is me? And okay, here's what I need to do but this is not a go and do type parable we're tempted to look into the parable and we're tempted to say okay i'm the man in need coming at midnight and so god must be the sleeper and he's the one that's going to answer and give so god's the sleeping man and i'm the i'm the man not knocking on the door but but crying out to the person inside for some relief and for some help but this is not a parable where jesus ends the parable and says go and do likewise this is a parable telling you not that you are like this and God is like this. This is a parable telling you God is not like the sleeping man. God is a not like the sleeping man. And that would be a bad analogy to make God a sleeper anyway, wouldn't it? Never sleeps nor slumbers, the Bible says. God is a not the sleeper. What he's saying to you is God is so much more than any human being is. If a human friend would do the lesser, how much more would God do for his children? That is the teaching of this parable. And just so you know that the pastor is way out, not out in left field, but the pastor is on the right track. Just so you know, just keep reading down the page with me now. Luke 11, verse 9, the very next verse. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks bread from a father among you, would he give him a stone? Answer, no. No. Or if he asks for a fish, could I have a McFish, Daddy, for lunch? Would you give him a scorpion instead? (laughs) Some of you might, actually. Y'all are devious dads, but the answer in the... No, is the teaching. No. Or if your son asks for an egg, would you you offer him a, a, a scorpion? Here it goes. You ready? Verse 13. Wait for it now. If you then, being evil... Now, compared to God, you're evil, okay? If you, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, here come the words. Are you ready? How much more? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you, if this is true, that you know how to give good things to your kids, it's even monumentally truer that God knows how to take care of his children. He's working on our attitude. Here's how you pray, our Father which art in heaven. By the way, let me teach you a story about how to approach God. And he tells the parable. Why? So that you'll understand when you cry out to God... God's not slow to respond to you. You're not trying to convince him to do something he doesn't want to do. You love giving good gifts to your children. Your heavenly father's off the charts on this issue. He's eager. He is willing. He can't wait to do wonderful things for his children. So you have to ask yourself some questions this morning. Does God regard your prayers? The answer is yes. You have a biblical promise that he hears your prayers. You have to ask yourself this morning, is God eager to hear and answer my prayers? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help, uh, grace to help in a time of need. Now let me ask you some some, some follow-up questions here. Does God answer our prayers because we're so awesome? I mean, do we get to come to the throne of grace because we're all that? Do we get to boldly come to the throne of grace? Is God going to answer our prayers because of some superior verbal articulation that I can make that maybe you can't make? You see the deal here? I mean, are the high priest's words better than your words? I mean, do you have to say it a certain way and with a certain eloquence for God to hear your prayers? No. No. Or could it be that God answers our prayers because God is awesome? It's about our attitude. You see the thing here? Could it be that God answers our prayer because God loves us so deeply and cares for us so passionately that when his children say, Papa, here's, here's what I'm dealing with. I want to talk it out with you. I need relief. I need help. I need a dishwasher. I need a transmission. God bless me. God says, I, I've just been waiting for you to show up. I already know what you need. Now listen, let's get the checks cut. Let's get promotion on its way. Let's get you a car. Let, I, I'm already setting things in motion to give you the relief that you need. How much more generous is God more than the most generous friend you've got? That's what he's saying. If you have friends that would help you, how much more loving is your heavenly father than any earthly father that you've ever known? How blessed are we to have such a loving, heavenly Father? All right, let me give you a, a takeaway here to, to go home on. Here's the what we need to do, and it really has to do with an attitude and a change in thinking. We need to learn to pray the way God thinks. We need to learn to pray the way God thinks. Just let that sink in for just a minute. We know that if we ask for something that promotes the kingdom of God, we know that we know that God is going to grant that request. Sure, it's of answered prayer. John sixteen, verse twenty four. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name, ask, and you will receive that your that your joy may be full. That is correct. Jesus said, Ask in my name. And you will receive, and your life's going to be filled with joy because you're going to be, you're going to be convinced daily, as God blesses you, that, that you have a loving Father who's just standing by, taking care of you. Just like when you lived at home with an earthly father, and he was providing and protecting and care, He The same way. I'm Much, much more, but in the same way. But much, much more, your Heavenly Father standing by to love you and care for you. Now here's the other side of that coin. We also know That if we we ask to be the greatest at something, or or we ask to be the most famous, or or we ask to be the richest, or or we ask to be the most popular, or if we ask for something that could be harmful, or lead to pride, or, or lead to ruin, or destroy, or hurt our lives, we also have a scripture on that. So God forewarned us that such requests that are harmful for you will be denied. No will be the answer, okay? And he gives that to us in James chapter 4. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Old KJV said lust. And You're, you're desiring to be famous. You're desiring to be rich. That, God said, I, I'm not going to grant requests that could hurt your, that could destroy your, your life. Let me close it this way. If you want extreme success in praying. Do you want extreme success in praying? (laughs) If you want extreme success in praying. Then pray the way that God thinks. What I mean is align your heart to his heart. Align your mind to his mind. Uh, You just say God. God. I believe this aligns with your will. God, God, I believe this is what you would have me do. God, I believe this is what you want done. So, God, I'm praying that you would give me what I need to get done, what you want done, and what you want me to God, I believe this aligns with your heart. God, I believe this uh, aligns with your your will. So, God, please use me to share the gospel with my brother or my neighbor, my co-worker. You think God would be all over that? Yeah, I think he would. God, here's what I think you want me to do. I know you want me to help with missions. I know you want me to be a giver. So, God, I pray that you'd give me a raise so that I could be prolific in giving. Not so I'd be rich and famous, but so that I could be a, a humongous blessing. Okay, you're, you're getting close now. now. Now you're getting to what God's interested in, praying the way God thinks. Prayer is not about, prayer is not about changing the unchangeable God. Prayer is about changing our thinking and our desires through a conversation with God so that we learn to think like he thinks and do what he wants done. Let me ask you the closing question. You ready? Who really needs to change? God or you? This is what Jesus is teaching them in the parable. God stands ready to bless you. You need to not approach him as someone who doesn't want to do for you. How much more does he want to do for you? But you're going to have to align your will and your thoughts to his thoughts. And if you pray, if you pray the way he thinks, your prayers are going to be answered. And what we have to do as God's children and his disciples this morning is we have to stop trying to change God's mind. How ridiculous is that when I say it out loud that we would even think that way? really we're going to change God's mind we have to stop trying to change God in our prayer time and instead when we bend our knees before God say God in this moment of prayer as I bring my request to you God if my will is not aligned with yours God change me to align with you that's a powerful lesson on prayer right there heads are bowed and eyes are closed Let's think about what decisions we need to make coming out of a teaching like that. And obviously it's about our prayer lives, but let's begin with our attitude. Maybe we all need to just take a moment and confess the sin of having a, a wrong attitude about God. Maybe you've approached prayer as you're going to try to talk God into something he doesn't want to do. Just, just confess that and say, God, I've had that all wrong. Really had that wrong in my head and in my heart. That prayer, through prayer I could manipulate you. To do my will. God, that's not what prayer is, and now I see it this morning. It's not what prayer is about. Prayer is about a conversation with you that leads me to do your will. God, help me to pray as you think. God, teach me how you think as I open the Word of God. God, help me to align my heart with your heart this morning. Lord, Wherever my desires, wherever my plans, wherever my wishes are not aligned with your plans and your wishes and your desires. God, I pray that you would just gently lead me this morning as your child and bring me into alignment. God, through prayer, just speak to my heart in the inner man and, and reveal to me where I'm lined up and where I'm not. Lord, let me make the adjustments I need to make. But certainly, Father, forgive me of thinking you're anything less than gracious and loving and generous and willing, willing to answer my prayers. God, my attitude's been wrong. I know you delight to care for your children. You are a wonderful, loving Father. Maybe as you come into the house of God today, you came and not really knowing what to expect, maybe not really having a walk, a personal walk with Christ, personal relationship with Christ. If you don't know Him as Savior today, one of the greatest prayers a human being can pray is when they bow their head and their heart and call upon Jesus Christ to be their Savior. I'm going to lead you in that most powerful prayer. The words aren't magic. The order is not magic. It's not an incantation. What it does have to be is it has to be a cry from your own heart out through the universe to God. And if it's sincere and it comes from your heart, God will answer this prayer this morning. He promised he would. He said in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will This is the first prayer you need to have answered right here. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, pray like this. Just make it a cry from your own heart. Dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior, and I know, Jesus, that you are that Savior. I have great clarity on it this morning. I believe you're the Son of God who came down to this earth and lived as a man a perfect life. I believe you died on the cross. You were buried and raised again the third day to be my Savior. Thank you for dying in my place and taking my punishment on the cross so that I could have forgiveness and eternal life. This morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I accept your forgiveness today. May it fill my life with peace, grace and mercy and compassion right now Lord Jesus I open my heart and my mind and I receive you as my Lord and my Savior now and for all of eternity Lord to have a home with you forever and a place in your kingdom Lord I turn from my own life old lifestyle Lord and I want to now turn and live for you the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ God I'm thankful that you do answer prayer thankful that you answered mine this morning thank you for saving me today in jesus holy name i pray amen let me invite you to stand to your feet let's prepare for a closing song this morning as you think about what we encountered today in the word of god